This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his latest book, Consumed, How Markets Corrupt Children, Infantilize Adults, and Swallow Citizens Whole, our guest today, Benjamin Barber, explains our marketplace ethos of induced childishness that not only seeks to turn the young into aggressive consumers, but to arrest the psychological development of adults as well, freeing them to indulge in narcissistic purchases based on stupid brand loyalties. Barber is the Gershon and Carol Kess Professor of Civil Society and Distinguished University Professor at the University of Maryland, Distinguished Senior Fellow at Demos and Director of Civ World. Benjamin Barber, welcome to Weekly Signals. Great to be with you. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Beautiful good. day here in the, uh, where we are in the East Coast. How's it, how is it out there? Well, it's, if we just got over a, a very, very hot spell here. I'm hoping it drops below three figures today. <laughs> so exactly. I, yeah. That is well, absolutely we're, true. We're there here now. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, so tell me, just to start off here, uh, in the title of your book, the subtitle, How Do Markets Corrupt Children? and infantilize adults and swallow citizens' Well, I mean, you know, to start with, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, listeners who are parents have experienced this, I mean, the fact is we target children. It used to be just teenagers, then it was tweens, and then it was, you know, down to toddlers, and today there are things like Baby First TV, a network meant for six-month-olds, Baby Einstein, all this stuff that's going after our youngest and youngest children, trying to play on the anxieties of parents. And the basis of it all is that unless you buy things, you're not going to grow up happy, you're not going to grow up smart, you're not going to get into college, you're not going to make it in the big society. You've got to buy our stuff, whatever that stuff happens to be, whether it's some education program, whether it's a toy, a video game, and so on. So there really has been a kind of theft of childhood, taking away childhood from young people and trying to persuade them and that unless they become little consumers, uh, they're not going to grow up, they're not going to be happy, they're not going to do well. Now, what I found fascinating, and I know you were just speaking uh, about this to Mike, is the McDonald's experiment. It's it's not only that we're we're forced to, uh, well, we're not forced, but we're induced to purchase to to make us think we need to purchase to have a, a fulfilling life, but that the brand loyalty is is so uh, needless and and so pervasive at the same time. Can you talk a little bit yeah, about that? Well, that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, some sometimes the big companies say, hey, all we do is give people information that helps them make choices, and we help children know what's out there, and uh, it just tells them what they're really getting. But the reality is very, very different. The fact is there's an attempt to get children as young as a year old or two years old to have brand loyalty. Some psychologists figured out last year that kids can recognize brands before they recognize words brand logos, and so there was an attempt by marketers to get brand loyalty, and the point about brand loyalty is it gives you a kind of blind faith in the product that has nothing to do with the product itself. I mean, it's, I don't mind if somebody, I'm not going to name one, I don't want to do advertising for them, but I don't mind if some car company gets a reputation for selling really good cars, and then that brand is associated, you know, whether it's Chevy or Toyota or BMW, with, with good cars. But the effect of brand loyalty on actual uh, uh, reality was revealed uh, a couple of weeks ago by a uh, experiment that was reported in USA Today and uh, U.S. News and a number of other places, which went as follows. Take 
a common food, maybe some candy, uh, a burger, and wrap one in packaging that says McDonald's. Wrap the identical candy bar, the identical burger, in plain wrappers that doesn't have any brand on it. Then they gave those to, in a taste test, to thousands of kids. And universally, the kids said, oh, the McDonald's one is much better. It was exactly the same burger. It was exactly the same candy bar. But the kids, I mean, this is what happens. That's the whole point. They wouldn't be spending billions of dollars on marketing if they didn't think it worked. And the way it works is to make kids feel they need and want the stuff being sold to them is better merely because it comes under a brand that's been aggressively marketed uh, to them. And, you know, we're trying to, as parents and teachers and uh, pastors and rabbis, we're trying to bring up our kids to be critical and thoughtful. And sure, we want them to, you know, look at advertising and figure out what it is they need and want, but the advertising isn't calculated to help them figure out what they need and want. It's calculated to sell them stuff, whether or not they need it, whether or not it's better than anything else being offered them. Can can we call this by what we used to call this, uh, the old days, called it brainwashing? Is is, is that is, I mean is is that too strong a term? No, Mike, is, I, I, is that Mike? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I think that's uh, I think that's exactly right. And indeed, I have a chapter in the book that's kind of offended some people about totalizing the totalizing effect of market. You know, yeah. what I said is that in the old political totalitarianism of Stalinism and fascism, you know, we kind of brainwashed everybody and got them all to think that. Politics is all there is. Nazi politics, communist politics is all there is. Everything had to be subordinated to it. Nowadays, you hear a lot of people criticizing fundamentalist Islam as theocratic because it permeates and pervades every aspect of our society. But when commerce does that, you know, and pervades every aspect of society and propagandizes us and brainwashes our children, we call that liberty. We call that market freedom. I don't know. To me, yeah, it looks like brainwashing. Well, there used to be the political definition of fascism used to be sort of this marriage of of the state with with corporate uh, interests. At least that was the classic definition of what M- Mussolini did. I, I don't want to get too far afield in all in all this kind of no, discussion. No, and, and I but, tell you what. I mean, here, here's here's the reality. I don't want to you know I don't want to make people yeah. mad by saying, look, the times when they were putting people in prison camps and concentration right, camps right, and gassing right. people. That's somehow what these corporations are doing. Right. But we do have to understand that bottom up coercion. Right through marketing and advertising, can be as pernicious to the independence and autonomy and grown-up qualities of our kids as top-down coercion was in the old totalitarian societies. And that's not to say they're the same thing, but it is to say that in our so-called free society, we have to be aware of the fact that the pressures on freedom come not from the state, not from the governor, not from the president, uh, but come bottom-up through these new forms of market and uh, persuasion uh, that are geared to really, you use the term, and I, I don't think it's a bad term, brainwashing small children. Yeah, and I guess there's the distinction here, you just made it, which is that used to be, as, as a, a teenager and a young adults and adults, you expected to be sort of marketed to. There was an expectation here. But really, and what your book really uh, goes into uh, in, in some detail is that we are now marketing to, as you put it, as as, as young as uh, six months to a year old, in a, in a way that they don't have the defense mechanisms or the intellectual ability to discern something from another. That we're going straight into their subconscious with this this kind of advertising, which is very very frightening. Very frightening, and as you say, I mean, the problem is not just they're young and don't have a defense, but what we're doing is not appealing to their 
mind, but we're trying to pre-shape their mind in ways that will incline them to a particular brand in a way that bypasses their critical faculties if they get them later. I mean, there's, I, there's a, I tell a funny story in the book about the uh, uh, president of Saatchi & Saatchi, the great British uh, advertising firm, who, you know, he looks stupid, but he thinks he's being smart. He says, you know, the best brand I know of is Head & Shoulders. And he says, he tells the story why. He says, I have been using Head & Shoulders for 20 years. I never use anything else. And the reason I know it's a really good brand is that I've been bald for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, a guy who uses Head & Shoulders when he's bald, that certainly is brand loyalty, but it also looks like foolishness. <laughs> That's great. That's we're, we're speaking with Benjamin Barber. The book is consumed. Now, did they do any follow-up on the McDonald's experiment? Or well, did... the new, it's a very interesting. It just came out. Uh, I mean, I read it this summer, uh, you know, I think at the end of, uh, beginning of August. So it's just three or four weeks old that it's been out there. And I am going to myself try to follow up and see what, see, you know, see where it went and what they've done with it. But what's interesting is that it was nice that U.S. News and a few other uh, popular papers, you know, sort of, front and centered it but i've heard no you know n- no real consequences later on so far it's not like people are screaming this is this is terrible we have to do something about it i mean i think parents are so beleaguered and they're so used to being treated as what the marketers disdainfully call them gatekeepers you know marketers say the idea is to get the gatekeepers the parents out of the way so we can get at their kids they're so used to be treated that way that you know i i, I suspect about half the people who read the story said man that shows what a good brand mcdonald's is yeah. and i've got to believe too that if if you put an adult in a car with a mercedes logo on it and and another car that didn't have the mercedes logo on it the identical cars they would claim that the uh, one with the Mercedes logo gave them a smoother ride, had better acceleration. I, I've just got to believe that's the way things oh, work I, I, these you're, days. I, you're so right, and there's actually there, there's some interesting evidence for that. There's a, there was another recent story. I don't know if you uh, gentlemen have seen the new Lexus Hybrid. It's a high-performance luxury car that's also supposed to be like a Prius, which really is a, uh, uh, a fuel-efficient car. It's supposed to be fuel-efficient. It turns out that Consumer Reports and others have shown that the luxury Lexus hybrid gets worse mileage <laughs> than the regular Lexus performance car. But if people have hybrid on it, they can feel they're green, they can feel mm-hmm. they're good, regardless of the mileage they're getting and so on. So they're, in effect, allowing packaging and labeling to take the place of contents, performance, and reality. And that's, that's so much true, and that's, that, that's why people, you know, as you say, you put the, uh, we know that even from, you know, the street sale of uh, so-called, quote, Gucci bags and so forth. You know, you can uh, they, they, they slap counterfeit labels on, and uh, people are happy to have the counterfeits simply because the label is on it. I mean, the other silly side of that, of course, is we, you know, we pay a lot of money to have a Nike swoosh or a Gucci label. Uh, I would say they ought to be paying us. We're acting as human advertising yes. billboards for That's, them. But in fact, yeah. we pay them a high price to carry their advertising. <laughs> well, and, and I want to tie something together. We're talking uh, with Benjamin Barber. The book is consumed. But uh, the let's take we've got the children sort of you know corralled if you will in this sort of advertising uh storm and then we've got uh the 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 parents who are getting it kind of from their kids the kids are urging them to buy certain things and the advertiser are working on the parents to become more like children in their in their taste and in their desires 
creating a need on that end. So you're you kind of have the, this very weird convergence of these two. Yeah, you're right. It's a squeeze play. I mean, yeah. you're trying to get the kids to kind of give up their real creative, playful childhood where they don't buy things and become little consumers, thinking right. that they have to kind of grow up and consume to be children. And meanwhile, you've got this pressure to dumb down adults. Because the problem with adults is, what does it mean to be an adult? Prudent, thoughtful. Uh, spend your dollars wisely, only buy things you really need or your family really needs, and that's great. I mean, in the old days, I point out in the book, in the old days, that's the so-called you know, Protestant ethos, the Christian ethos. You know, be prudent, take care of others first, uh, don't be greedy, don't be narcissistic, and so on. But, of course, that's a very bad message, that old Protestant message is, uh, for a country that wants adults to be spending wildly. So when they target adults, it's to try to turn them into uh, imprudent and uh, impetuous children who will buy stuff they don't really need to dumb down their taste so they'll like all the same dumb video games and movies and so on that kids like, and get them to, uh, in effect, act impetuously and like children. You can see a lot of advertising that even says things like, you know, oh, go ahead and do it. It's okay to be selfish. It's okay to have that thing. Maybe you don't need it, uh, but you want it, and that's just enough. So there is this kind of dumbing down of adults, and this is true all over the world. It's not just in the United States where uh, adults are being dumbed down, where they're being sold. I mean, the average video game now is sold to people between 25 and 35, not between 15 and 25. Uh, you know, comic books in the old days, when we were growing up, fine, that, you know, that's fine, but most adults gave up comic books, whereas today it would be as if they are targeting adults and trying to turn them into people who really want to read comic books. Well, we all have this impulse to want to live forever, right? I mean, there's, there's some part of, at least for me anyway, wanting to go on <laughs> and extend the, the, our life and our, the quality of life. And one way that's the people... unrealistic, are, Of course it is. <laughs> and what, but one way you incorporate this is to, you be, I, at least I think people believe, if I can be young, if I can be young, if I act young. And this plays into the, a lot of the advertising plays into. Oh, that, you're right, it? and then I, I, I talk a lot in the book about yeah. uh, uh, the uh, youth movement, the, the fact that we sell Botox to people to freeze their faces into characterless uh, kind of flat. You, you so-called, quote, youthful faces, even though it robs you of your character and your experience. Once upon a time, you know, those lines on our faces were called experience lines, and they gave us our character and our gravity and our sense of being a grown-up. Uh, a lot of people are paying big bucks not uh, to look that way, to try to pretend they're young. The whole culture plays up being young, being young is being cool out in Hollywood. You know, my son's 40 years old. He's working in Hollywood. He keeps telling me, I'm afraid I'm over the, you know, I'm over it. I'm done because... <laughs> Because I'm 40 years old. 40? My God, at my age, 40 looks, you know, really youthful. But out there, 40s already, quote, old. So, yeah, this kind of youth movement. And, again, most civilizations have done it the other way around. Yeah. Reverence for the old, reverence for the wise, reverence for experience, reverence for, you know, having been through it and being there. And, of course, we work just the other way around. And that accounts for the incivility towards uh, older people, the lack of concern for them, and the attempt by a lot of people who are older to pretend that they're young. When, how does this all overlay on the politics? There you go. Uh, what would be an equivalent of the McDonald's experiment in politics? Would that be Mitt Romney? <laughs> well, I'll let you gentlemen uh, yes. choose, choose your favorite. But, I mean, the sad thing is everybody's competing on that level. I mean, even a guy as fresh and, you know, attempting to really bring a different image as Obama is is 
dependent on marketing, dependent on being seen as sort of sellable, uh, being on TV. I mean, my God, if Abe Lincoln had had to go on TV, yeah. you know, he never would have been elected. I mean, he was an ugly guy. I mean, you know, he well, was a big, lumbering, ugly guy and, you know, would have looked very awkward on television. So, you know, what, what really, when we come to politics, the first thing we notice is that politics has been subordinated to money, not just in the fact that money can buy votes and money can buy its interests in, in Washington, but that the people who are running have to sell themselves like commodities. And that began to become evident even back in the 60s when that great book called The Selling of the Presidents uh, in uh, 1968 uh, was published. And that was the first book to really recognize that politicians kind of sell themselves as commodities. And instead of having a serious discussion, if you listen, if you listen to uh, Hillary Clinton or, or Obama or John Edwards, they're raising a lot of really good and serious issues. But most of the debate about them is in terms of electability, how they look, can we elect a black, can we elect a woman, uh, how presentable are they. A guy like Kucinich, who is actually making a lot of very smart arguments about the world, is seen as kind of ridiculous and foolish. He's taken as uh, the kind of joke in the Democratic running because of you know how he looks and because nobody takes him, takes him seriously. And that, that, that kind of approach to politics is devastating. But there's, there's, there's a deeper impact on politics as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just uh, going just to follow up on that a little bit. Um, to me, Mitt Romney is the guy that will will be anything you want him to be, anytime you want him to be it. It just seems like he has taken this to a completely different level in terms of his his uh, desire to sell himself to to the electorate. But well, I think. I, I agree with that, but I want to say that one thing that's happened more and more, of course, is that people advertise themselves. This is kind of like the brands. Yeah. One way when they run and they govern another way. George Bush was a pretty, you know, charming guy uh, the first time around, and he ran to the center. He governed from the far right. You know, I mean, so you, you don't even know what you get when uh, when people run. So as you say, Mitt Romney, who knows? I, I, I have a house in Massachusetts. I watched him as governor here, and, you know, he wasn't a very good governor. Uh, no question about it. But, you know, who knows what he's going to do if, if we were ever to uh, elect him president? Because what people do when they run is what they think they need to do to get elected, yeah, yeah. not represent what they really believe the country needs in the way of leadership should they actually enter the White House. We're speaking with Benjamin Barber. The book is consumed. I, I was wondering, along those lines, do you think it's good that so many presidential candidates are on late-night talk shows? I mean, it seems to me that that's another way of just packaging them and, and turning them into to products rather than into getting anything substantial out. Well, yeah, and here, you know, it's catch-22 because it, it, they shouldn't go on. It trivializes them. It demeans them. they got to make the jokes. They have to, you know, play along with being ridiculed and so on. And if they don't, they look like they, you know, take themselves too seriously. But on the other hand, if they don't go on and they say, I'm just not willing to do that, they're not going to get the coverage. I mean, I had, I, I had exactly the same, you know, problem. I was invited on the Colbert Show yes. when my book first came out. And, you know, part of me felt, why should I go on? I mean, he's, he's a clever guy, a nice guy, you know, funny guy, and so on. But basically the point is to go on and be ridiculed. But it's good for the book. You know, yeah. Book out there. And I, in the end, said, well, i, I got to go because I can't afford not to go on because there's too many, you know, people who will hear about the book and maybe read it. And once they read it, they'll be way beyond Colbert. You know, I'll be able to be talking with them, in effect, through the book about the serious arguments. And I, The candidates, in a sense, are, in the end, obliged to go on because, you know, if they don't, they're just not going to get the exposure and exposure 
of that kind is what it's all about. And yet, as you rightly say, the exposure itself trivializes and demeans the campaign and brings them down and forces them to kind of ridicule themselves. And I, by the way, self-ridicule isn't a bad yeah. uh, exercise, a discipline for some politicians who take themselves way too seriously. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's a whole lot more than that. It demeans the whole process. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I, a lot of people watch, a lot of young people watch The Daily Show and uh, Colbert, and I understand why these guys are clever, they're smart, they're you know, ultimately quite progressive, but it really demeans the whole process. It's all about cynicism. It's all about the put-down. Uh, and God knows a lot of what they're putting down needs to be put down. But it creates a kind of cynicism in young people. I mean, it's very hard to imagine anyone coming off of The Daily Show uh, or The Colbert Show with their idealism intact. Well, I think Colbert's kind of <clears throat> turned that on its head a little bit, too. He had Huckabee on, and uh, Huckabee did well in the Iowa caucus or the, uh, the whatever that straw poll was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he called it the Colbert bump, and he kept you know, kind of running it, kind of ramming it in, in, in Huckabee's face. And God knows if these things are, they're not related, but, but the fact that Colbert is sort of tweaking us by, by just you know, sort of overemphasizing how much impact he has. On well, no, no, I know, that's right. But by the way, my book got a big bump from being on Colbert. Well, there you go. Well, but then that's I, I, we all face. I, I don't want to be you know I don't want to be above it all because we all face that thing. And Colbert was funny because the first thing he said when he came on, he says, "Barbara has come on to sell a book about how we shouldn't be buying things in America." <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was right. You know, I mean, you know. So my little joke was, "Well, this is the last thing you have to buy. Buy my book, and you'll never have to buy anything." Again, <laughs> you know? But the fact is, you know, that's that's part of the problem. Look, let, let's not put it on those guys. The fact is, we have a commercial yes. culture that trivializes that demeans that subordinates everything to the bucks everything to the entertainment and uh that's just not you know that's not great by the way religion's the same way you know the most successful religious leaders now are the ones who go on television and raise large amounts of money and uh in effect you know uh, put virtue up for sale uh, yeah. salvation for sale when the catholic church did that back in the 15th century you know it gave rise to protestantism nowadays the big televangelists go on uh, television in effect you know show how you can buy salvation by Jesus and I you know that that's bad for religion I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I it is is there is there hope for our society after there all is, this I mean there is a, yeah. let, let me let me say why because we're very resilient look we watched 80 years the russians lived under soviet totalitarianism and almost overnight the wall came down and they came out of it and then, you know there's somewhere else people in poland and hungary lived under it for 40 years we watched Japan and Germany go through a generation of totalitarianism, and after World War II, with the help of the Marshall Plan and re-education, they gradually reacquired the capacity to act democratically. We're nowhere near yeah. as badly off as that. You know, we, we have, I mean, because the folks who run the corporate society, they themselves don't much like the society they're creating. We've seen, despite all the propaganda and so on, we've seen the gradual emergence of a green revolution. We've seen Americans and young people looking for alternatives to uh, the commercial culture. So I, I, think, I, I think what's really needed here is a kind of parallel uh, strategy in which parents and young people act as individuals to resist consumerism and resist brands and marketing, but at the same time that we reclaim our democratic citizenship, that we reclaim our capacity as citizens working together to impose laws on how you young you can target children yes. uh, to limit uh, advertising uh, and keep them to standards of honesty it's always been democracy's job to keep capitalism honest you know capitalism claims to uh, champion 
competition, but it usually creates monopoly. And it's government, democratic government, that guaranteed the conditions, uh, antitrust and so forth, that ensure genuine competition. And now we have to ensure uh, that capitalism be fair and square with our kids and with us uh, through what we do as citizens. So acting as individuals, but also acting as citizens, I think we can create a viable resistance and create uh, the kind of America that at its best has nothing to do with the goods we buy and sell, but has to do with our virtues, our deeply, uh, uh, our, our deeply civic and democratic natures, our tolerance, our diversity, the great strands of many cultures, Caribbean, African, Asian, Native American, and European that have created this amazing society. And, you know, go, get back to what makes us strong and stop catering to the things that actually make us weak. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Benjamin Barber, thank you once again. Thank you for coming here to uh, Weekly Signals, joining us. And uh, the book is Consumed, How Markets Corrupt Children, Infantilize Adults, and Swallow Citizens Whole. Thank you. So good to be with you guys. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.